Hello everyone. Good morning. Good morning. All right, no, we're doing that again, all right? I've seen a couple of people asleep at the back. I'm watching you in particular. Can we do that again, please? Good morning. Right, we're awake. Thank you very much. Yeah, quite interesting, actually. Co-founder. It was a bit weird, because I think I am actually just the founder. Perhaps my wife just tells me otherwise. You're the founder. Yeah, exactly. A bit weird. That's news to me. I don't know. My name is Mike Richards, and as we're just thinking very much for the intro, I run the treasury recruitment company. We're a specialist treasury recruiters, and I've been doing it for the past 22 years. Hopefully know quite a lot of faces around in the room. And we've got offices both here in the UK and in the US. We recruit at all levels, from treasury analyst to group treasurer, as I say, on a global scale. And that's just a position why I'm actually up here with three very talented treasurers. I'll get them to introduce themselves in a moment. So the reason I'm actually up here and doing this live version, if you like, of the I Run a Treasury podcast, Started it last October. Pleased to say a lot of you guys listen to it and enjoy it. We've just gone over 10,000 downloads in nine months. So you're all finding the treasury stories that these guys have got to say and some of the people in this room, actually, I see a couple of guests. Very interesting. But every week I talk to treasurers about how they started their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Now, this is a live version, as I say, and it's a little bit different. We discussed this before because a lot of the live version shows that we do are in front of groups of more junior treasury professionals. We did one in London earlier this year, did one in Luxembourg, and these guys are wanting your jobs. So you do have to watch your back sometimes. But in all seriousness, they're, they're wanting to learn how to achieve, whether they should study qualifications what else should they do, project management, all the other things. So they're desperate to learn. Now, it's a bit different, as I say, because we're in front of a group of their peers. So actually what we're going to do today is perhaps share some of their experiences, some of their ideas around treasury management, talent management in particular, and coaching, rather than trying to teach you guys how to get to be treasurers, because most of you already are. Now, I recently spoke in Chicago at the Windy City Summit, and I kicked off the session by going a bit mad. Not just wearing a tablecloth for a shirt. Actually decided to say to the guys in the room, everybody in the room, and you guys are exactly the same. You all do the same job in the same way, with the same tools, with the same teams, facing exactly the same issues and the same problems. And they all gave me that same look. Has he gone mad? Not quite yet. But actually, it was the point I was trying to make is that all of you guys do amazing jobs. You all follow different ways of doing it. Use similar tools, different systems, and everything else. So I wanted to explore with some of the guys up here the ways that they approach problems and how they deal with things, how they run their teams. They've all got different things, different industries and everything else. So, and I'm pleased to say I've known these gents for many years. Uh, They bought me the odd beer, but not many. Not enough, should I say. As I say on the podcast every week, that's enough from me. Let's hear from some of these guys. Perhaps introduce yourself and then maybe how you... Well, do a quick intro and then we'll talk about how you first got started in Treasury and go through some of those. So, Jason. Yep. So, Jason Spanos. I'm the uh, Director of Treasury at Coca-Cola European Partners. Uh, Matt Norris. I'm the Assistant Group Treasurer at Petrofac. My name is Topi Jokiranta. And I look after the Treasury at Retti Group, which is a Finnish family-owned investment company. Perfect. Jason, perhaps for the audience, you first got started in Treasury on the darker side in banking. It's all right. 
you get over it. But perhaps explain how you started in Treasury that side and then came through. I always knew I'd kind of go into Treasury. So I studied investment and financial risk management at the CAS Business School. And, you know, what was very clear was how much I enjoyed kind of, you know, fixed income and, uh, and risk management. And I was trying to identify, you know, as the kind of overzealous, you know, 18, 19 year old that I was at the time, what job could it, would enable me to touch on all areas of, of finance? So very early on, I knew, you know, Treasury was was that, that function. So I, I ended up working at the a very small bank, Bank of Cyprus, in their Treasury Department. And that was before I then kind of you know, progressed onto, onto my MBA. And my MBA was split between Paris and the UK. But I had a three-month window in between. And during that time, I had the opportunity to, to take on a contract in, funnily enough, Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola France at the time, not in, not in Treasury. It was uh, it was actually in their marketing finance department for the for the for the Powerade brand. But for me, it was in part okay. Well, I'm living and working in Paris. So I want to see if I if you know my French extends to kind of business French. But in t- in turn, what is it like working for a corporate? And I think. I think 99% of the people kind of that studied my degree went into banking. And the, the Coca-Cola opportunity showed me that actually I like, I like working for an organization that has a tangible product. And you know, my background is, you know, I'll, I'll get to in a moment, is very much FMCG, so very much that, that tangible product. So when I returned from Paris, I, I, I'd taken the decision not to go into, uh, in, into banking and actually continue down that corporate route, but more aligned to my ambition of kind of working in Treasury. And that's where Cadbury's came about and very much kind of where three of us have common history. So just to explain to everyone in the audience, all three of these chaps previously worked at Cadbury's. And that's where they all came together. And that was the other bit that came together and then actually have gone different paths from there, which we're going to explore. So Matt, explain maybe your background, how you got to Capri's, and then we'll go from there for each of you. Well, I did not know that I was going to be in Treasury. I fall firmly into the category of I fell into Treasury. I was working with Citibank in Australia and was set to join the graduate program. I had a sponsor ready to bring me into that program just as they brought a uh, bit of a transformation in the local Citibank. I lost my sponsor, and that's when I looked around and was basically told, well, why don't you try Treasury? There's a few roles going. I was introduced to uh, Conor Marr, who I kind of know quite well, and I was told it's basically like banking, but within a corporate. So uh, I joined Hewlett Packard in 2003 and as a Treasury analyst. I was there for about three years with an introduction to Treasury around cash management. But a lot of what we were doing was heavily automated, as you can imagine, in, the, uh, in a company like HP. But after about three years and realizing that we were looking at doing a lot of value-add projects and trying to look around for things to do, because the job had become quite a lot of press buttons and finish a day job you know, early, halfway through the morning, I uh, had an opportunity to uh, move across to Cadbury, where they were not quite in the same state. Cadbury at that point was moving into a uh, complete transformation of their treasury setup from kind of older sort of practice to a lot of manual payments, a lot of checks, for example. And that's where I came in to join Toppy and Jason to uh, help transform that treasury center. Toppy, over to you. How did I end up in treasury? <laughs> I actually studied in Amsterdam as part of the part of the studies, there was a compulsory internship or a work placement, any which way you want to call it. I actually did it at Hewlett-Packard in Amsterdam. 
but I actually wanted to stay there. Probably something to do with, you know, banking, perhaps there was actually a potential spot, you know, options trading and stuff like that. And then through this Hewlett Packard route, you know, there was an offer that, you know, you could just move to UK and join the European Treasury Center, which is where I started. And I just left before Matt joined. So it's, it's been following me around. But what I did study was finance, corporate finance major. So, you know, I wanted to do something to do with that. And I wasn't really sure if I want to work for a bank. And, and so I, I sort of halfway landed also <laughs> in treasury. And good because, you know, obviously Hewlett Packard was one of those great platforms where they were very eager to take in graduates and teach people, young people, you know, how things work. It was a pretty sort of fairly big team, I suppose, you know, for what they did. Good systems, good thinking. And so after that, did my AMCT studies there and then off to Regis for a while, which had just gone public, very turbulent times. And then after that, well, through a few more corners, ended up also at Cadbury. What was Cadbury like when you arrived? And because you were the first one there, or I think Jason must have been there just yeah before before myself. It, it felt like they had got stuck. <laughs> with their processes, with their systems, the, the whole thinking about, you know, where is this whole function going? Also, what they had at the time was a regional setup with very strong regional management. So it felt a bit more decentralized. I suppose there were a lot of questions, well, are we in control of what's happening? Do we know what's happening everywhere? And so really what it was all about is, well, let's look at the systems, let's look at the processes, risk management, everything around it, which, of course, needed good talent, new people, and, and then that's where the transformation started. And Matt, what part did you play within that? You said, you know, you'd arrived at Cadbury's and Jason perhaps described to the audience how the what evolution was going on at Cadbury's over six years. Was it six years you were there? Six and a half, six yeah. and a half years. I mean, in, in, in terms of, and, and Toppy just alluded to it, in terms of, you know, what I arrived into, I, I didn't know any different. I didn't know, you know, what a good world-class treasury could could look like. I mean, I, I came into a, a dealing role, but it was dealing, it was cash management. And bizarrely, and this is kind of where there was complete control failure, the dealers were also executing the payments. You know, this is this perhaps can you know, get you into a little bit too much detail, but, you know, say, say we can download something from SAP and we noticed the account details were incorrect, we would go into, into the file, modify it, make the payment, because obviously we had, our, we had our cutoffs, go back into the system, correct it, and then everything would reconcile. But complete control failure. And that kind of you know, flag that change needed to happen, and that change came about by a, a new group treasurer coming in, ex Coca-Cola Hellenic chap by the name of John Fulton. And John was a very ambitious guy. You know, he, he, he knew kind of what, what, world class, what world class looked like. And that's where, where Toppy came in from Diageo, that, that had been, I suppose, kind of on, the, on that journey for, for a number of years. Yes, uh, they'd done a lot of that stuff before. You know, that was definitely one of the top-notch treasuries. It was a huge treasury yeah. with lots and lots of resource. And I keep using this phrase, but you know, you know what good looks like. Yeah. And so it was kind of easy coming into Cadbury and then look at it. Well, okay, this looks very different, including, for example, you sitting in a glass box doing FX deals probably, which was a bit odd. So, you know, starting from basics. <laughs> 
So, so yeah, the Agio helped. It was a cozy glass Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, the, you know, the, the walls did come down. It very much kind of became, it became open plan. Developed, you know, with, with Toppy a risk function. Uh, Matt came into the, uh, to, into the dealing room. And that was essentially kind of the spark that then led on to really kind of driving that change in the risk framework. Something which was an, an absolute necessity. And that was, it was almost about kind of getting the basics right and putting the right system in place in order to, to kind of facilitate that ambition before then looking at, okay, well, we've, we've resolved the, the central function. Next step is to develop the, the, the regional function and kind of centralize, centralize more. So you guys are now in three leadership roles as such. So what did John put in place at that time that you, know, you were aspiring to? What was it that was, did he say, right, this is how Treasury's gonna look and come in with a big stick or did it, what, what was the process? I think the two biggest things were the system. We need a decent system. So that was one of the things that, you know, he pushed through very fast. And uh, second thing was probably just, well, let's look at the whole competence and the whole framework. You know, what are we really, why are we here? What's the purpose? And the third, as Jason just mentioned, you know, the third was, you know, well, we need some control. It's a huge company, global company, probably almost present in every single country in the world. We need the regional treasurers in place so that we can start dealing with information flow. We can start looking at the local setups. So those three were probably the, the biggest things. They, happened, they, they did happen pretty fast. They were put in place very fast which obviously created its own you know, anxiety around the whole, the whole setup. But then I think it set the pace and, and we continued with the pace. I, I came in in 2003. I didn't actually meet John, didn't know him. I was, Sarah Boyce was uh, the treasurer at the time. But when I joined, it was very, very clear that the previous treasurer, John, had been a catalyst for change. And when I joined, the, what was very, very clear was I was joining a team of very, very energized very skilled people, all quite ambitious as well, and all you know, collaborative. And it was, you know, during, during this session of putting uh, our, our treasure management system in, we were in, you know, weekends, for example, coming in to try and help support each other and get the things out of the line. And it was, it was a, a really great team environment because we just wanted to deliver it. A lot of the time on the podcast, I talk to people about qualifications. And, you know, and the need to do it. When the first podcast guest I did was, was Sarah Jane Hall from GlaxoSmithKline. Her closing remarks were, study, study, study. Just get as many as you can. If you get an opportunity to study an AMCT, MBA, MCT, whatever it is, people can't take it away from you. Now, virtually, I think you've all got AMCT, you've got the MBA equivalent, you've got similar as well, Toppy, and you've got all certain levels of professional qualification is that something you insist on maybe with your teams now or you know what what's your defining from our side i've got the amct and within our team we do require that to be something that they do and mainly because it's a great foundation of treasury practices best practices of just the fundamental understanding of why why we're doing what we're doing and how many are in the team just perhaps explain the Treasury setup. We've got about uh, 10 people in our team from the uh, group treasurer down. Our treasury <coughs> split between, roughly evenly between Sharjah in the, in the UAE and in the UK. Of that, we've got four now fully qualified in the MCT. The other uh, two of them are starting to work towards it. What we, we have found, though, is we don't push 
later qualifications. What we do want is, we do agree with the idea of study, 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 but whether that's branching out and doing an accounting qualification, whether it's doing a level one CFA, whether it's uh, an MBA, that's very much down to the individuals, but it is supported. And part of the reason for that is we don't want, for example, to send every single person down the same educational route, because then you're going to have everyone just thinking exactly the same way. And we need people in our team to kind of challenge each other and, and whatnot. So it's, it's great to have a fundamental understanding, and I'll always support that. But I think you know, people should then be encouraged to find what interests them, what they're skilled at, and try and build on that as well. And Toby, you're in, based in Finland. AMCT is not quite so. It's not just an ACT fest, I would say. This is just something that is a really good qualification. But you've got two junior guys. You've explained that to them as well, and they've come aboard? Yes, they've started studying AMCT, and it's rare in Finland, unfortunately. There isn't anything equivalent to that. It tends to be, you know, university finance degrees and or, or a lot of engineering degrees that you see flying around, mathematics. You know, the, the traditional way, obviously, then the polytechnics, you know, help. But AMCT, yes, and it's, you know, it's one of these things where getting the technical skills and getting certified for actually being able to pass those exams is, is one thing. So yes, you need those. Um, it doesn't have to be AMCT, but obviously that's purpose-built for this particular part of finance. And so, and it's because it's rare in Finland, I thought, well, why not? Let's put these guys through. And they, they want to be, they want a career in treasury, core treasury people, so that kind of makes sense. It fits. They have, you know, they've got university degrees, both of them, and, and so they are already highly qualified, if you, if you know what I mean. Essential not necessarily, it depends, you know, but ex experience needs to be combined with the technical skills that you get from studying, I think. And, and we are a team of five, which means three people and two systems. <laughs> so really, you know, it's a small team. You do need to pay attention quite a bit. You know, everything works. Um, the competence side of things, technical skills, as well as, you know, everything else, the softer people side. Jason? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is I think the foundation needs to be there, a term that, you know, I recall Toppy using categories. You know, we have different uh, career avenues. So just because someone's in Treasury today doesn't mean they want to be, they want a career in Treasury. So I think AMC, AMCT is absolutely kind of, you know, the basic that, that you need if you want a career in Treasury. If you don't want a career in Treasury, but you want a career in general finance and you're seeing Treasury as a stepping stone, I think a management accounting qualification like SEMA is, is key. And it's, it's key in particular as you can progress through, through your career and, and, and want to understand understand how kind of all the moving parts in, in the business come together. So it's about foundation. I think MCT, I don't have it. I won't do it. I think, you know, I've, I've kind of you know, reached a stage in my career where I can, I can be strategic. If early on you want to understand the more strategic elements of, of Treasury, then the MCT helps. But it's a commitment. It's a commitment, particularly how, you know, the format has changed in the last uh, the last few years from being kind of a three, three kind of case study based exam to kind of a more of an MBA style intensive kind of 15 month with a, with a paper at the end of it. So particularly people with, uh, with, with families, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a commitment that they need to consider. So the takeover came over by Kraft in 2010. That's right. Matt, you decided to escape this lovely, beautiful weather we had and ran away to the Middle East or maybe perhaps tour through for, the, again, the audience. What then happened to the three of you to go different ways and different blue chips? How, what did you have behind you, if you like? On my side, so having gone from Hewlett-Packard and kind of seen a lot of automation but not knowing how to get there and how to actually build that, then went to Cadbury where it was actually transitioning and building a roadmap 
um, which I think we would call Journey to World Class, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And I've always likened it to the idea of building like a kit car, for example, in your garage, and you're building this thing that's absolutely beautiful, and you're ready to drive it, and then Kraft comes in and takes your keys from you. But we never <laughs> quite got to it, actually. We just finished the implementation as, uh, as it all happened. So Kraft, yes, that was the catalyst, and I had an opportunity to go and join Petrofac in the UAE, did not have a, a central treasury function. It was just a group treasurer who had the remit to build a central treasury function, pull all the efficiencies from you know, FX management across the different, different business units that were there, pull all the cash together. When we joined, there was about 700 bank accounts across about 70 odd banks, so and very little visibility. It's all very much the fundamental treasury actions you'd expect to see in a in a corporate that doesn't have the function. We just built that up over kind of a four-year period, uh, bringing in team members, putting in a TMS eventually. In around 2014, I became the assistant group treasurer, and the role became a lot more about partnering the business and actually helping find ways to bring down uh, cash even further with them, help with the FX kind of bid process for our projects. It was a transition from kind of migra um, migrating or transitioning one treasury function to another at Cadbury's to building it completely with, with the big treasurer at Petrofac. And what we're finding right now is we're kind of in that same period with the move to digitalization, with the uh, technology changes. It's very much the same, the same challenges now, but with a lot better technology. And so uh, we're right now looking at not just the treasury operations, but the whole of finance altogether, which is one of the reasons I was talking yesterday on RPA, because now technology is there to actually really embed treasury even more in the business as well. And Toby, before we run out of time, because I don't want to, you know, perhaps give us a quick run through of what, the, the, where did you go from there, Springboard? Yes, well, I actually joined Tesco. I'd just come back from Singapore and, and it didn't take very long, you know, uh, until this whole takeover happened and then I joined Tesco for a while and then really it was you know after that it was two kids having been you know here for a while then uh, it was time to go back to Finland so I worked on a, a long two-year project for a private equity owned healthcare technology company which is a massive European Middle East or EMEA area cash management regional treasury creation project and after that I joined Rettig and, and so you know it was moving back to Finland and, and actually starting my first job for a Finnish company after graduation. <laughs> so you know it was a very different environment, much much smaller country, the whole treasury scene is much more you know smaller. There are big companies but there are far and few and so very different environments and now of course this company is fully family owned. That's something I hadn't done before, and so as it sort of adds a different flavor to it. Jason? So when I left Cadbury's, I went to, well, briefly, briefly at Diageo, but, but essentially went, went over to British American Tobacco. Initially, for, for, for a two-year period, I was, uh, I was doing kind of funding and risk role, so very much kind of, you know, capital markets and, and rates. And then an opportunity came up to head up the West European Treasury Function. So BAT operates in 182 countries globally. So I had you know, 42 of those markets. But the timing worked very well because I didn't, in the end, I didn't just have West Europe, but I, also, I was also the global treasurer for their non-combustible side of the business, which was quite interesting because you know it was their first kind of venture into into e-cigarettes heat not burn and uh, at the time a pharmaceutical grade product I left BAT briefly uh, to Delarue more out of personal interest than anything else to see okay well I've worked in in the 2020 space my entire career what's it like working in a, in a in a smaller organization you know it was it was very interesting but it kind of lacked the complexity and the speed of execution that I that I saw kind of in the early part of my career and at the start of this year I joined Coca-Cola as, uh, as a treasury director 
Just, we spoke before the session, because obviously this is more a group of your peers as such, and we talked about coaching, mentoring your teams, and advice about how you successfully run your teams. Maybe starting with yourself, Toppy, you, you explained about how, you know, what advice would you give to, say, some of the people here who are maybe new to management or they've got challenging teams or different things? What have you found successful when you're coaching and managing your guys? Well, first of all, you have to, uh, if you have a team, you have to invest the time. It's not just something that you do whenever you happen to have time uh, and then postpone. It's something you have to allocate an X amount, X percent of your time. It's important because you're not going to be able to do all by yourself. You've hired a team and you have to trust your team that they are professionals and and they're going to deliver for you. So take care of them. That's one thing. You need to probably ask your HR people if you have such, you know, departments to give you some tools. If not, develop them yourselves to have decent discussions and conversations because, well, you spend eight hours a day, five days a week with these people. You know, it's a lot of time. And so it makes sense to learn a little bit more uh, on what's going on there. And, and then, you know, you can, you can sort of go through all the ups and downs. Another one that I had to learn was to stop micromanaging and delegate and, and then trust that things get done. Otherwise, you know, you just kind of kill yourself with the workload. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that, you know, things don't, things don't necessarily get done any better at all. And so one of the things is that, uh, well, if you think you've hired the right people, you've got the right team, then let them do their job. Focus on other things. Look forward. Don't look back. Throw them challenges because, you know, and, and involve your team into the wider picture because they also want to know what, what they're doing, where does the information go to, these decisions, what, what's the impact. And so uh, it's almost a responsibility to make sure that, you know, they get involved and they get given challenges because that's how they grow and that's uh, how they get different kind of exposure to many things. And that also uh, tends to prolong... <laughs> the life of your team because, you know, if they get chances inside the company, they don't necessarily have to think about switching jobs. I, I agree with all of that, but I, I do think it starts with having the right, the right people. And, you know, in the day and age now where, frankly, the automation within the, the role and the, the transactional element of treasury becoming far more automated, people's time and the, the capacity gets increased that they have free when a successful automation comes in. And you need to have a team of people that will use that time proactively, actually come up with ideas. So we, we for example, was it last September, we, we launched a, uh, a treasury strategy day. We had our team come in and we, we said, right, what are the pain points? What do we want to fix? We gave ourselves a roadmap for the year and we'll, we'll rerun it again in September, see where we are and take stock. But we've got a team who will roll up their sleeves, want to fix these issues, because fundamentally they know that their jobs, their lives become so much better with this automation. I, used, I was saying earlier, Mike, that it used to be a case, you'd often have like a, a team that could have a workforce in there that was very, very good at their job and they would just sit and do it. That would be okay because you could just have them there. But as, as some of the elements of those tasks now become automated, you need that time to be used most effectively. I think ultimately it's down to empowerment. You know, make sure you, you, your team feel empowered. They, you know, they, they have the opportunity create that opportunity you create that opportunity for development you create that opportunity for them to, to you know pre present to you know some of your more senior stakeholders you know get, get them the visibility that they're they actually hunger for and you know to top point you know invest in, invest 
your time. And it's not kind of you know, giving feedback at the half year and the full year. It's about giving feedback on a, on a consistent basis. You, know, you, you have a meeting. It was perhaps you know, not, not, not the best delivery in that meeting. You know, have, have that quiet conversation and, uh, and see you know, perhaps what, uh, what could be done a little I, bit differently. I totally agree that empowerment, and in our case, autonomy is also a really, really powerful tool that we, you also need an individual in your team that will actually embrace that and actually take it on. So we, don't, so we do run to time and everything else because I don't want him to come and slap me around the chops. But he's likely to do so. I can see that. He's got that look about his face. These gents are going to just give you a couple of their tips for career success at the end. We're going to open the floor to ask, get any Q&A from you guys just briefly. And then we'll come back to the, the, these gents just to explain what they would say have been, you know, there's three guys that came all the way through to Cadbury's and then gone to different blue chips and everything else. And what your personal ethos is are about where you're going to and stuff like that with Treasury. But it's over to you guys. Come on, get your own back. I want to see some hands. What questions do you have? Yes, please. Marcus. So, uh, what, what skills in your treasure team do you feel that you're missing, particularly non-core treasure skills, and how do you see getting those skills into the team? I would advocate that anyone that wants to have a long-term treasury career within uh, within an organization actually kind of identify opportunities to move out of treasury it's quite easy for us to, to, to be silos silos considered specialists and you know often described as non not commercial and I think kind of you know in a larger treasury team BAT being an example where you had where you sat kind of on the regional FLT and had you know the, the opportunity to kind of sit with your peers for three days every every quarter and talk about kind of the commercial aspects and not just treasury I mean you know my contribution to the discussion was 90% commercial and 10% treasury. So I had that exposure. And my team had that exposure because I'd occasionally kind of bring them along. But in a smaller team where you're very much kind of sitting in that ivory tower, you need to identify ways to, to go into the business, either project-based or seconded for a short period of time, just to kind of you know, have, that, have that time, understand you know, the, the, the bread and butter of the business, what makes it tick, because it, it makes you a better treasurer, it makes you a better, uh, better finance professional. What we're missing right now is actually the, uh, the system skill, the kind of data scientist, if you will, to actually help us with our digitalization uh, program. My worry on the skill front, though, is actually once we've done that and we've actually got ourselves a very automated solution, it's maintaining the skill that we currently have. We have a lot of subject matter experts in various components of our treasury skill set, but as those operational processes become you know, push-button processes or even just exception reports, Maintaining that skill set of understanding why that process is doing what it's doing is the bit that I think will be a challenge. I mean, is anything missing? I think, I think that's relative to what is the need. Probably out of core skills, perhaps trade finance, but we don't really have a, much, a big need for it. You could always use a bit more accounting and knowledge, you know, how, how this whole thing ties up to the group financial accounts and how they get put together, but then, you know, how much can you do with a team of three, really? So I don't think anything's necessarily missing. It's the question of, you know, either the depth of, you know, what you know or the actual need in that particular organization. Obviously, one thing is, you know, well, IT is, you know, we, we manage two, two systems which we sort of force out to the people in the whole organization. So we have to understand the configuration and the management of those. But, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have, you know, extra resource for working some more uh, financial analysis, complex, uh, complex stuff, maybe, you know, a bit more on RPA programming side of things. But then 
you know, it's, it's one thing wanting things, whether you get the resource, whether you can actually argue for it and have a case for it, then that's another. So nothing's really majorly missing, but I'd like to have obviously deeper understanding and more resource to, to get other things done. Time for one more question. Hi, good morning. Um, I was wondering, because you all have different companies with different things, I was wondering if all of you have a payment platform. Yes or no? The payment factory. Yeah, you can factory payment, one single payment platform where you run all your payments all around the world. <laughs> Yes, well, if I take that first, but yes, 90% there, and then you've got countries that you can't really hook up, which naturally fall out, but every single country that you can hook up to, yes, we've got full in-house bank receipts and payments on behalf, centrally, um, centrally administered liquidity-wise as well, yes. We've got a quasi-in-house bank that's kind of been pieced together, and actually I've been bugging Toppy all conference to getting his thoughts on uh, moving to a full payment factory for us. So we haven't got it yet, but that's what we're currently building. At Coco, we don't have an in-house uh, in-house bank yet. It, it, it is the ambition is about you know we're in that we're very much in that journey of you know th thinking about new systems you know and and, and looking at processes. But uh, you know there's quite a mature shared service centre based in Sofia, and the, the our kind of source to pay uh, function very much kind of deals with that. It's just a little bit more manual th than we'd like. And for you two, is it included in your TMS or not? Is it for HSI? Uh, no, uh, uh, we have a more modular way of thinking things. Uh, TMS does only what the TMS is good for and it's not really be, it, it's not good for payments. So it's a system called Opus Capita, which is the in-house bank engine that handles the payment flows that come out of ERPs or directly into that system. So no, it's not the TMS. No. Yeah. Although you could do it, yeah. Any, so any of you would, uh, were able to get rid of manual things like forecast, for example? Are you doing your forecast uh, with uh, spreadsheet and Excel and so on? Well, tell you what. So what, just so that he doesn't get angry, maybe the guys can answer the question outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they will be they will be free for questions afterwards because look at him. That's not a it's not a happy man. Yeah, I know. I can see that. So thank you to all of these guys. They will be free for you know Q and A outside as well. Maybe to follow up there. But so we finished. Just the personal career tips. You know, just any one or two things that you you know spring to mind about what to do. You know, don't hide, don't hide behind your screens. Don't hide behind your, you know, your, your respective functions. Make sure, you know, you're embedded in the in, in the business, in the processes. Understand, you know, understand what other people do. Engage. All too often, you know, we we say within our specialisms and we don't engage, and it's important to do so. You know, understand what Treasury does. Understand your own skill set. Everyone has different skill sets. You don't have to know all the answers, but if you do build the relationships, both externally and also internally, by making sure you're speaking to everyone in the business, you get a much better picture of who you can lean on for help and who you can actually support with your skills. Well, on top of those things, what I'm going to throw in: don't get stuck. You know, do a role or spend enough time learning a part of Treasury or wider finance, and then move on to the next piece, so collect the pieces, and then at the end you're gonna have the whole puzzle done, and then your skill set's gonna be pretty wide and impressive, so don't get stuck. I suppose I'd add to those comments before me. Please put your hands together. Thank you very much, panel.